There's a handful of new folks in the building right now. I apologize. I did not warn you that we take greeting time very seriously here. And so I probably should have given you that heads up beforehand. Um, let us start as we pray. Lord God, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would open up our eyes that we might see you in new ways and open up our ears that we might hear you speaking. Open up our lives that we might be changed, that you might make us more like Jesus. We pray these things in his strong name. Amen. In a book called Transformational Discipleships, the authors tell the story of discipleship. In the leader's final hours, he was almost completely alone. He faced death without the company of those who swore their allegiance. Most of his trusted and closest friends deserted him. Some fled and painfully betrayed him. The world scorned him, but not this disciple. This disciple would remain faithful to death, following his leader to the grave. His mind was fully committed his will set on his leader's agenda, and his heart thrilled by the intimacy of the relationship with his teacher. He was in awe of his king, humbled to be included in the inner circle. The disciple wrote of an early encounter with his leader, great joy. He greets me like an old friend and looks after me, how I love him. Then he speaks how small I am. Later, the disciple penned these words about his leader's teaching and influence. When he speaks, all resistance breaks down before the magical effects of his words. One can only be his friend or his enemy. He divides the hot from the cold, but lukewarmness he spits out of his mouth. The disciple is famous just as his leader. Before his death, he said of himself and his leader, we shall go down in history as the greatest statesmen of all time or the greatest criminals. The disciple's name was Joseph Goebbels, and he was the disciple of his Fuhrer, his leader, Adolf Hitler. While others deserted Hitler, Goebbels spent his last days alongside him in Hitler's secure bunker. And the authors and everyone else conclude Goebbels was correct. They are known as the greatest criminals in, in history. The atrocities they committed against humanity are disgusting. Goebbels was a true disciple of Hitler, a follower, a student. He trusted and emulated his leader. He was discipled. And we would conclude Goebbels was transformed by his discipleship, though obviously in the wrong direction. Because, of course, the very nature and purpose of discipleship in any form is transformation, to become like the one you are discipling. But therefore, it is of vital importance that we are following the right person, because we are becoming like someone. So it's worth spending some time making sure that that someone is the right person. And if it is, making sure that we're following with all that we are so that we don't fall short. Or maybe we could get at this idea in a different way. Jim Rohn writes the often quoted, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, which of course makes us ponder who are the people that we spend the most time with and do we want to be going in the direction they're going? 
Because again, we are becoming like someone. So it's worth asking, who are we becoming? And since this is a church, I would ask, is Jesus at least one of those five people that you spend the most time with? More than that, are you intentionally working to become more like Him? Because if not, then no one will be surprised if you don't change and start looking more like Jesus. Now, you may be thinking, I don't want to become anyone else. I'm just trying to become my best self. But what does that even mean? Can you actually do that? Is that really the goal? And how would you ever know if you succeeded? Aren't you always just like yourself? I mean, can't you always evaluate, well, I'm, I'm more me today than I was yesterday. I don't know that that works as an aspiration, as a, as a direction, as a goal. Because I think the reality is we are always following after someone or several someones, and so it's probably important to know who. And in many ways, because we're at church together, we have our answer. We know what the answer is. It's always the same answer at church. But the question is, are we actually working to become more like this Jesus? Because that's what we're doing here, even if sometimes we lose track of the point. C.S. Lewis said it this way, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God made man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful you know whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. I'll say that first part again. The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs. You see, the goal of our faith isn't for us to be Christian or act Christian or even make Christians. The goal is that we are becoming more like Jesus, acting more like Jesus, speaking more like Jesus, and helping others experience and become more like Jesus too. We call this process, this goal, this mission, this lifestyle, discipleship. We aspire and work to become more like Jesus. This is what we're doing. This is who we're becoming. This is where we're going. And it's easy to forget because we can get so busy with the work or looking like Christians that we forget the goal is to become more like Jesus. And therefore, this is what we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about in this upcoming year. I'm hoping that we can spend a significant amount of time looking at and talking about and, and dissecting discipleship. What is a disciple? What do disciples do? How does one grow as a disciple? What does it mean to become a better disciple? How do we make disciples? How do disciples change the world? Which also means we need to learn what it means to be a disciple, not to mention 
what a teacher of a disciple would be. And therefore, we're going to need to spend some time in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but mainly we're going to need to spend a lot of time this year talking about Jesus. Last year, our kind of overarching theme was what does it look like for us to be apostles, to be sent ones? We've been gathered in order to be sent. We're on a mission from God. We are to be the church out there, not just in here. This year, we're backing the story up a little bit because before they were and we can be apostles, they were and we need to be disciples. That being said, we also need to start by recognizing that we often don't really understand what that word means, disciple. Often we'll use that interchangeably with Christian, and maybe they're not the same. And so it's worth doing a little bit of review as we start out this year. Because Jesus came at a specific time in history, into a a certain culture, and He did His ministry in a particular way, which is why He was known by many as a rabbi, and it's why He had disciples. But therefore, we need to know what that means. And the first thing in that time and culture that we need to understand is that one of the highest callings One of the highest occupations that you could aspire toward was to become a rabbi. It was a prestigious and prominent position. But it wasn't easy to become a rabbi because after all of the normal schooling where you'd be memorizing the first five books of the Bible, followed by memorizing all the rest of the Old Testament, you would then have to find a rabbi and then apply to be their disciple. They would quiz you and test you to find out how well you've learned the Bible. How many times is this word in the Bible? Where does this? What are the 17 instances of this? And you would be able to rattle that off because you have the Bible memorized. And if you have what it takes to be their disciple, they would invite you to follow them. If you were worth their time and if you were worth their effort, they would invite you to follow Because they recognized this training was extensive and immersive, so they only took the best of the best. If you passed all the tests, and if the rabbi believes that you have what it takes, they would invite you to follow them, and then you would be their disciple. You would work really hard to become just like your rabbi. Not just to know what they knew, but to become just like them. And so disciples would then follow their rabbis everywhere watching them, imitating them, learning from them, emulating them, because they wanted to become more like them. A disciple was, was all in, leave everything, leave everyone to follow the rabbi for years, because the goal was to become just like your rabbi. At this point, it should become obvious that most kids simply didn't have what it takes to become a rabbi. And so when that became obvious to everyone, those kids would would go back and start back up at the family business. So if your dad was a farmer, if your dad was a shepherd, guess what? You are now a farmer or a shepherd. Okay, I think that's enough background that we could possibly understand this passage that we're about to read. So with all of that as a lot of background, I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 14. Mark, chapter 1, verse 14. 14. This takes place right after the beginning of the Gospel of Mark and at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Mark 1, 14. 
After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they explained, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And now in our passage, we're going to fast forward all the way to Mark chapter 2, verse 13, where it says this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Amen. Did you catch all that? The Gospel of Mark's a quick one. He tells his stories very, very quick. Did you see what Jesus was doing there? Well, I want us to work back through this passage and dig in a little bit farther. 
Our story picks up at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He starts by proclaiming good news, the kingdom of God has come near. And after the message starts to get out, he begins the next phase of his ministry, his discipling phase. As he's walking along, he comes across two fishermen, Simon and Andrew, and later two more, James and John. But remember, this tells us something about these four men. The fact that they're fishermen means that they didn't have what it takes to be rabbis, to be disciples. At some point in their schooling, in their memorizing of the Scriptures, in their aspirations, they fell short, and they were invited to go back home and learn the family trade, in this case, fishing. And then along comes this rabbi, and he tells them to follow me. You'll notice He's not just telling them to come this way, walk this way. He's inviting them into a specific role. He's inviting them to a certain kind of life. He's inviting them to become different persons because He's inviting them to become disciples. Remember, normally a wannabe disciple finds a rabbi and asks to be trained. This rabbi went out, found these would-be disciples, and called them to follow. In other words, it wasn't Jesus' charisma that made them drop their nets and follow. It was an invitation to become like Him. It was an invitation to become disciples in the hopes of becoming rabbis. And therefore, it's not a surprise that the four dropped everything and went. But notice what they give up. They're willing to leave their professions, their property, their priorities, their family, and more, all in order to follow after Jesus, to become His disciples, to become more like Him. Remember, rabbis were often itinerant preachers, and so when you're choosing your rabbi, or more accurately, chosen by your rabbi, it was important to recognize just what that was going to mean. You weren't casually a disciple. You weren't a disciple once a week. You weren't a disciple for appearances' sake. You weren't a disciple sometimes. This was a total sacrificial commitment to follow in order to become more like your rabbi. In other words, they would have had to surrender their aspirations and their identity and their security and their comfort and their way of life in order to follow, in order to become more like Jesus. And they do. They leave everything and they follow. Well, our story goes on. They follow him to Capernaum. Then on church day, they go to church. He starts to teach, but he seems to be teaching differently than the other teachers. He has more authority. Next, he drives out a demon. That night, they go to Simon and Andrew's house, and Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law and then heals many others after that. The next morning, Jesus gets up early, goes to a solitary place, and prays. There's a whole sermon right there for another time. When his disciples finally find him, Jesus delivers every introvert's favorite Bible verse in the whole entire Bible The disciples tell Jesus, everyone is looking for you, and Jesus responds, let's go somewhere else. And then later, we see more people following after Jesus, but Jesus comes to Levi, a tax collector. Why is he a tax collector? Because he doesn't have what it takes to become a disciple or a rabbi. 
What does Jesus invite him to do? To follow, to become a disciple. And how does Levi respond? He gets up, leaves everything, and he follows. Later that night, they're at Levi's house, and Levi has thrown a party for Jesus, invited all his old friends so that they can come and get to know this Jesus too. It's also worth noting that these followers are now known in the text as disciples. It's also worth noting that these disciples also bring Jesus into every aspect of their lives. They bring Him home. They, invite, they introduce their mother-in-laws. They, they invite their friends over. They allow Him full access. In other words, for them, discipleship isn't a program. It's not an aspect of their faith. It's not just a a piece of their lives, but it's a whole new way of living. Jesus was now welcomed into all of their lives, their community, their personal lives, their professional lives, everything else, because that's what it means to be a disciple. You were doing everything you could to become like your rabbi. You were trusting your rabbi implicitly. You were hoping to be made more like your rabbi. And remember, Jesus, with only a dozen or so disciples, ends up changing the world. That being said, here's the problem for us. That was worlds away. In a different time, in a different place, in a different culture, in a different context. So what does this have to do with us? I mean, sure, sure, it's great that these five guys drop everything and follow after Jesus and become disciples, but, but of course, we live in the modern world. We have bills to pay and mouths to feed, not to mention important things to do, and real worries, actual stressors, major concerns. And yet, what if this is our calling too? Less that we're supposed to drop everything and more that we are to be disciples in that we are actively and intentionally working to become more like Jesus in our lives. Because a part of discipleship demands a certain seriousness, a certain commitment, a certain intentionality. You don't accidentally become a disciple. You don't casually be a disciple. This this is important. If the point of the faith is to be more like Jesus, then it's worth taking a look at how we live our lives as we ask if we could follow better, learn from Him better, act like Him more. What would it mean for us in our context to emulate Jesus better in our lives? It would take some work, I think. In fact, it's going to take a lot of work because if He's the goal, if He's the picture of who we are to become, if He's the measure of Christian maturity, then that means we have a lot of work to do to become more like Him. Even at its simplest, it means that we are going to need to to get to know Him better. We're going to have to spend more time with Him. We're going to have to work to follow more closely behind Him because the only way that we're going to become more like Him is if we know who He is. What would Jesus do in this situation? Well, in order to be able to extrapolate to that, I better know what Jesus did in all the other situations He found Himself in, which is going to take some work. 
there's a cost to following Jesus. That being said, if you're not following Him, who are you following? It may not be as costly, but maybe because it's not worth as much. That said, there's also some very good news in this passage, great news, actually. Because remember, a rabbi would only take on a disciple if the rabbi truly thought that the disciple had what it takes to become more like them. What's more, a rabbi would only consider disciples that first came to them. But our rabbi is different. He comes to us, chooses us, calls us. Because he believes that we have what it takes to become more like him. You see, the amazing message of the gospel is that Jesus chose you because he seems to believe that you have what it takes to become more like him. He seems to think that he can mold you and shape you and teach you and grow you to look and act and become more like him. Before you discount that, remember, He's Jesus. So if anyone can change us, it's Him. But it's our job to follow. And as we'll see, this is what He does with these first disciples, taking the unlikeliest of peoples with the most diverse of backgrounds and views, and then He sticks them together in this program with Him as He lives with them and as He teaches them and as He works with them. And they end up changing the world. What if that's his plan for us too? Let's pray. Lord God, we recognize that you have called us to follow you, which means not just to come to church but it means that you've called us to this life of discipleship where we try and get to know you better so that we can become more like you, so that we can become, in the words of C.S. Lewis, little Christs, because that's your strategy for changing us and changing the world. Lord, we've got a long way to go. We recognize we are not all that much like Christ right now, but we pray that we would come to know Him better, and as we do, He would slowly start to change us, that we might emulate Him more, that we would become more like Him, that He would do His good work in us to change us, that we might be filled with more love and more grace and more forgiveness and more power so that we might be better disciples. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.